Hello, and welcome back to the Kimberly Lovey Podcast. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest, my friend, Sam Cleary. Sam is a professional tennis player who recently retired at the U.S. Open after a wildly successful 17-year career. Sam was ranked number 11 in the world as a singles player. He won 10 ATP titles, and he holds the record for consecutive service aces in a match. He also won five ATP doubles titles and has a career-high doubles ranking of number 23. In 2017, he made it to the semifinals at Wimbledon after defeating the number one in the world, Andy Murray, in the quarterfinals to become the first American man to reach the last four of a Grand Slam in eight years. At the same tournament the previous year, he defeated world number one Novak Djokovic to reach the quarterfinals, ending his Grand Slam win streak of four in a row. He also defeated former world number one Rafael Nadal in the Acapulco final of 2017, reaching the quarterfinals at the 2017 U.S. Open and the 2019 Wimbledon Championships. You guys, Sam is a better friend than he is tennis player, and I'm so excited to share him and his story with you. He's going to talk all about how he initially got into tennis and catapulted his career at 18 years old. He will discuss what it means to build out his team, what kinds of routines and habits he had to form as a professional tennis player, and some exciting next steps. Also, for those of you that want to hear more about Sam and his wife, Abby, you can go to episode 47, where Abby Query joins me and we talk about their love story and her history and upbringing and their babies and so much more. So go ahead and check that out. With that, enjoy the episode and let's dive in. Can you sing for us, Sam? Is this thing on? Oh, there we go. Just hitting the nose. (laughs) By the way, I made sure that my camera is mostly focused on me because it's my podcast. Barely in this over here. Yeah, you're you're like the I'm like the main event. You're like the you're like the side the side dish. Yes, exactly. (laughs) You're used to it with Abby. Mm -hmm. But Brian loves us so much that he said, "Please don't use the nice champagne." Are we using the nice champagne? No. <laughs> I don't want to get news, I'm not going to even know the difference between nice champagne and not nice Me champagne. Neither. So. Me neither. Me neither. Me neither. Sam Query, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Made the long journey over from next door. Uh, <laughs> it took all 15 seconds and now I'm here. Yeah. It was a tough commute for you, huh? <laughs> it was. Hey, you know what? I'm doing God's work by living right next door to you. I was actually going to tell you that we have a problem because... We decided to have too many kids and now we're running out of space and now I officially don't have my podcast studio anymore. And I used to have a nice little setup and then I ripped out the carpets and that basically destroyed the sound for that room. And so now we have a guest room downstairs. My office is gone and now we have to record. Where are we, Sam? We're in the kitchen. <laughs> well, we, you have three kids. We have two. So uh, you can come over to our house. If you want to set up a podcast studio in our house, that could be your new office. Wait, I love that. Is there, yeah. what's, your, what's the rent? We, uh, it's we'll free. Pay you. It's free. We're neighbors. We're friends. So, uh, that is so sweet. It's okay. just the room sitting there ready for you. I love that. Okay, so here's the thing about that. I think you should like, I'm going to help you with your negotiating skills. Like you should at least probably ask us to bring you like breakfast, like bagels, lox, <laughs> you know. I'm actually, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to Lovey's on Wednesday for the first time. You are? I've never been. I was going to say, I don't think Sam's I'm going Wednesday morning. 
get out. Yeah. Well, I'll make sure Brian makes you look cool. All right. You know, <laughs> like sends you something nice. Some All French right. toast or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll help you with your order. We have like towering French toast. They took it off the menu, but it, you can still order okay. it. So All maybe right. you can do that. You know. Okay. Deal. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Sam, first of all, I have to say you are like one of the coolest, like nicest, kindest guys to the point where I always forget that you're like, I don't know if it's famous to say or well known, but you're definitely well respected. In the tennis world, yes. Yeah. But like, it's so weird for me because, well, one, I know nothing about tennis and I'm definitely here just for the outfit. And two, like... I just see you as like my nerdy neighbor. Yeah, I mean, I'm not that nerdy. I mean, you're not that nerdy, but like... No, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Well, I, I don't even play... I, I technically retired a month ago, so I don't even play tennis anymore. So I'm not I'm not even a... I'm not a pro tennis player anymore. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. Hey, listen. Let's cheers to that, that you retired. Let's celebrate. Yes. Thank you. Ow! Hey. <sighs> Did you make the noise? <sighs> yeah. So by the way, for those of you guys listening... I said to Sam, hey, by the way, um, have you podcasted before? He's like, oh, yeah, I did five this week. Mm, okay. <laughs> Prior to that, not many, though. <laughs> what are it's you doing here, a, Sam? It's been a big podcast week for me. Wait, does your agent know about this? Did I need to, like, go through him? <laughs> <laughs> he I actually just talked to him on the phone. I let him know I was doing it. But uh, no, you don't need to go through him. Oh, okay, good. Just making sure. Okay, so... He would try to get some money out of you to... Oh, he to would? Oh, I don't have any. Yeah. I well, mean... Then I wouldn't have been here. That's why you don't want to go through him. <laughs> okay. Also, by the way, happy birthday again. How old did you turn? 35 uh, on October 7th. All right. Yeah. All right. Brian had a gag gift for you, but he forgot to bring it. Oh, that's but... right. Well, I can come get it or he can drop it off since we're close. <laughs> okay. Okay, so... I think it's crazy that you are basically what I perceive as like a regular person, grew up kind of locally, which we'll talk about, and somehow propelled yourself to become a tennis professional, a tennis star. Like I need, I have so many questions. There's so many. And I'm going to ask it to you from the perspective of a regular person because I'm not a news broadcaster and I don't have an agenda besides I think it's really interesting to learn how you did that. So let's start from the beginning. When and how did you even get into tennis? I was born in San Francisco. I lived there for maybe six months. And then we moved to a town called Santa Rosa, which is about an hour outside of San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And uh, lived there from the time I was, you know, zero or one to about seven. And so the, the neighborhood we lived in down the street had like a tennis and swim club. And so my parents trying to meet people, get involved in the neighborhood, join this tennis and swim club. My dad didn't play tennis, but he started playing tennis. My mom would play some tennis. We'd go to the barbecues at the pool. And when I was probably five, I started going there and I would just do the kids' camps where you'd play tennis and then go swimming and then go eat snacks, play hide and go seek. And that's kind of the first time I was introduced to tennis. Awesome. Okay, wait, this is actually really helpful because just this summer, Carter and Charlotte launched their professional tennis. They're on their way, all right? It's, you just got to start in these little camps. <laughs> That's what we did. I mean, look, I'll be honest. It was just because I couldn't find a good nanny, as your wife already knows. <laughs> yeah. No, that's the, the first step is just getting a racket in your hand and... And that's it. Okay. Okay. So we're on. See. Okay. I got. I got to play this for Brian. He never. By the way, he never listens to my podcast. <laughs> so I'm gonna force him to listen to this one. Um, okay. So you started off just doing camps, and were you doing any other sports that you can recall? Yes. 
I mean, not to fast forward, but until I was 14, I played baseball, basketball, football, golf, soccer, oh, tennis, played everything. I was just the best at tennis that whole time. I, I went to those, you know, when I was five and I did those little tennis camps where it was like tennis, swimming stuff. I, I for whatever reason, just kind of had a knack for tennis and baseball. I think with the hand-eye coordination, they're kind of similar. Um, and then when I was, you know, six, seven, eight, I, I would play some like little local junior tennis tournaments for fun. I don't even know if I was winning or losing, but <laughs> you just play them because they're fun. Um, but all the while playing other sports as well. I love that. Okay. So you started in the camps, you were enjoying life, you were kind of athletic. And then what was going on? And then when I was, uh, gosh, let's say it was like seven or eight, my, we moved to Las Vegas. Oh, yeah. Okay. My dad got a new job there. He was in the mortgage business. We moved to Vegas. Um, and we lived there for like three and a half, four years. And, uh, I still continue to play other sports, but I started to play tennis a little more, two, three days a week. I would play, you know, a a little junior tournament once a month. And, and that's kind of where I started to, I would say, get into it. I would take like a lesson from a private coach once a week. Um, and, and I liked it, you know, I was, I was naturally just kind of good at it for whatever reason. And when you're, when you're good at something, you would win a lot of matches. And, and when you're eight, that's more fun to win. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, when I was, gosh, 11, we moved to Thousand Oaks, which not for, close to where I live now. Um, and then I kind of ramped it up to another level and, and still playing these other sports while I was doing it. But then I would play, I would take a, a lesson once a week and I would go to clinics twice a week and I would hit with like a friend another time during the week and I would... My mom and dad would constantly drive me down. You know, most of the tournaments, unfortunately, are down in like Orange County or Long Beach or Whittier or these places. So it was always like a hour and 15 minute drive every weekend. Um, and that's kind of where I started to get good and, and play more. And I then I started to play national tournaments where you'd travel to like Florida and play some and North Carolina and Texas and all these places. And you'd play against the other best players from from those cities. And and I started to win some of those events, like the boys 14 and under national hard courts was in Texas. And I won that. Wait, wait, do and, you have your trophy? Um, like, we should have you made know, you like, it might out be at the house. Like it's a cool trophy. <laughs> I've got better ones since then. So you, I, I lose it. My parents might honestly have it. I feel like they probably have that. And so, I feel like I want your mom to come on and like show us. It's cool little in, in, in the U S when you win what they're called is like USTA national tournaments. Mm-hmm. It's these little tiny tennis balls that are like the size of marbles, and there's a gold one, a silver one, and a bronze one that you get for first, second, or third. And they come in these little cases, and you can like collect them as a junior player as you as you win. So it's kind of a fun little collector's item. So you're not getting paid at that at that you're level. You're getting right? no money. Your <laughs> parents are paying for you to fly to these tournaments. Right, um, right. But they're they're fun tournaments. I still have like some of my best friends are from those like junior tennis days. From the 14 and unders and 16 and unders and kids that lived everywhere and um and so yeah i was playing all those events and then probably when i was 15 i played i played basketball my freshman year of high school i wasn't that good stopped playing that and then at 15 just played only tennis from that point forward got it did it help you get dates or were you kind of like was it like a nerdy sport <laughs> it, it was a little bit of a nerdy sport but i guess it helped because like my school's into it and you know i would You'd be talking to a girl like, oh, what are you, what are you doing this week? I'll be like, I'm actually going to Paris to play in the Junior French Open. Like, what are you doing? They're like, oh my gosh. Like, you know. So I, I, I was good enough at it where it, like it took the nerdiness factor out and I was like, cool. Oh, I love that for you. Good yeah, for no, you, Yeah, no, it was Sam. great for me. <laughs> <laughs> it was. 
<laughs> See, that's the goal with my son. I just want Carter to get a prom date. He doesn't need to be in the NBA. No, no, no. That's just get good enough to get a date to prom. And, and, and when I was in high school, too, I was when you start playing tennis a lot, you, you had to start traveling a decent amount. So I was doing like half my classes at Thousand Oaks High School and half of them through like an independent study program. So I, I was only going to class. Uh, I had two periods of a day. I'd go from like 9 to 11. And then you would go and like practice. Then I go practice. I do other schoolwork at home, but yeah, go practice or like because like I was saying, I was traveling. I would I would miss a lot of a lot of school. So the teachers, some teachers were cool, some weren't cool. Um, but luckily, my my principal at Thousand Oaks High School was great, and he would go like talk to my teachers and be like, "You need to work with this kid, and and help." And and they were all pretty good. Do you want to shout out any teachers that were especially horrible and didn't believe in you and gave you shit? Oh my gosh. <laughs> No, I, I honestly I can't think of any like I can't think of most half their name, but I have to get the get the yearbook out. But they were they were all pretty nice. Okay, good. I don't all think right. they understood what I was doing. Like if I said like I need to go to Paris to play in the Junior French Open, they're like, well, we we've got an algebra test next week. I'm like, well, I like what do you want me to do? <laughs> that is so wild. Like I feel like all of my friends found all the wrong ways to get out of school, and you just highlighted such a like a much better winning approach. So. Basically, from the time that you were like in high school, it seemed like you were starting to tee up, like get get real serious, and you were starting to think in terms of making this a career. Is that right? Or how did not, that come about? Not yet. So at like 15, 16, 17, yes, I was getting good. And the whole focus then was go play in college. If I keep this up, I can get a college scholarship, go play in whatever, kind of whatever school I wanted to go play in. And so at 17, I, would, I took recruiting trips to all the big universities. Ultimately, I signed with USC, and so I was going to go play tennis at USC. And, and then the summer before school would have started, I was playing some like lower-level professional events, and I won three of them. And for those of you that, I mean, no one really knows how tennis works. I know it's confusing. It would be like AAA baseball, kind of a level right below the, the top level. And so I, I won three of those, and then I was awarded, it's called a wild card, and some tour events like the highest level events in Cincinnati and then I got a wild card into the US Open that year and I was 18 and and I won rounds at these events and so when school would have started in September I was already ranked about 120 in the world oh my gosh um, by playing these other events and then at that point I uh, I had talked with an agent and then I I signed deals with a, back in the day it was Adidas and Prince Rackets, and so the decision to not—I decided not to go to college, but it was an obvious decision at the time. It would have been a step backwards in tennis. If you're—I was the best 18-year-old in the country at that time. If you're one of the few best players in the nation and you go to college, it's usually a step backwards in tennis. Where football, baseball, basketball—you need—you still need college for the stepping stones to move forward. Tennis, it is a, a step backwards going to college if you're the best 18-year-old in the country. You say it so casually. Yeah, like it's just so easy to become the best 18-year-old. Like it, it, it all the 18-year-olds, like what's the numbers on that? I mean, Ridiculous. I was, look, I was practicing every single day. I was fortunate enough. My, I had a, a private coach for uh, kind of the that 17 to 19. Traveling around, I was playing the Junior Wimbledon, Junior French Open, Junior U.S. Open, going to Florida to play and, and missing a lot of school and, and traveling around all these tournaments. And you know, even though I only turned pro technically at 18, it felt like from the time I was, you know, 16 and a half, 17, I treated it like I was a professional. Wow. That's so cool. Hey, I wonder if you would still be good at math since you skipped all that school. Maybe I should <laughs> see if you're smarter than a kindergartner. 
I, that's my fear. I have like two boys. Like I'm like scared once they're like in seventh grade and like, how do you do this math problem? Like I'm gonna need you to go over to your mom. <laughs> you're gonna hire a tutor, is what you're gonna right. do. Hey, I have a finance background, and Brian's really good too. So also, I'm gonna send him over here. We'll only charge a really marginal fee. You okay. know, friends and family right. discount rate. Um, but otherwise, we'll just Google it with you. So it's fine. Okay, so that's crazy. So I was gonna ask you, like, how do you curate that team, and what does that team of once you're a pro, like? How do you get your people? Like, do you have an agent? Like, who else is involved? How do you curate your coach? Like, how does this all go down? How does it come together? You know, it's different for everyone. So, if you're one of the, if you're one of the best eighteen-year-olds in your players, agencies will will find, uh, tennis agents will find you. There's and there's the IMG, Octagon, William Morris, big companies that have tennis divisions. When you're at some of these big junior tournaments, they'll usually talk to your parents. And you'll take some meetings. You'll you'll go meet three, four, five of them, and and hear what they have to say and what they feel like they can bring you. And for me, uh, I've had this. I still the same age. I have the same agent for my entire career, John Tobias. And so once they once you kind of pick an agent that you like, they will help you go out and find a coach or find a physiotherapist or help you kind of put together a schedule that you like. For me at the time, I was. I was practicing at this club near our house here, North Ranch Country Club, a, a pro at the time, Grant Doyle, an Australian guy who had just finished on the tour, just took a job there, and I met him, and that's kind of how I found my first coach. And then a few years later, if, again, if you're in the, US, in, the, in the U.S., there's the USTA, United States Tennis Association, and they have two headquarters, one in Los Angeles and one in Florida. If you're one of the best players, which again, I was then, you can go to their training facilities, and they have great coaches, great trainers, great facilities and you you kind of use those facilities to train and practice because all the other good kids will go there so you have other people to play with that's so crazy so does your agent only have one person that they manage or no my agent has and this is true with most people would have a handful of, of other great tennis players some of them have tennis players and basketball and baseball they have they have uh you know different sports but for the most part, uh, my agent John Tobias has had just tennis players over his agent career, got with it. some other athletes sprinkled in along the way. Got it. And got he's it. had some great. He's had Sloane Stevens, who won the U.S. Open, Sophia Kennan, who won the Australian Open, the Bryan brothers, who've won twenty-five majors. He's had some really great tennis clients. So, are you friends with all these people? Specifically, are you friends with Serena and Venus? And also, can they hang out with us as well? <laughs> uh, yes, I am. Um, Seriously? You know, yeah, not to the point where we're going to dinner and things, but you see them at tournaments. It's always high. It's small talk. You'll have lunch together. You'll you'll chat about kids, stuff like that. I'm not close enough where I would say, hey, like Kimberly's got a podcast next next week. You mind like flying out to LA to like hop on it? I'm not that close, but definitely close. And yeah, Venus and Serena are are great people. That's so cool. That's it. Sounds like a nice little community of people, right? Yeah, especially, look, tennis is so international, and so at any given time, if you take the, uh, you know, over the last 15 years in the top 100, there would be like five guys from America, and there would, there's always a few more, there would be like eight girls from America. So there wasn't a lot of Americans in the top 100 traveling these tournaments, so you got really close with that, with that group of, of men and women that were at the same tournaments as you all the time. That's so nice. Outdoor Movies by You is not just your average rental company. We consider ourselves an outdoor movie event company. 
Starting in 2011, we created the idea of bringing the movie theater to your backyard. Other than maybe a park with a ton of strangers, no one really knew what the outdoor movie was. With having over 30 years of experience of being a social event planner, Carrie combined the two and has created an event company that focuses on the outdoor movie concept. Simple options to choose from, just the basic, the actor, to having it all, act two, in and out burger packages. We offer seating, swag bags, s'mores, blankets, you name it, we can get it. We like to think of ourselves as a one-stop shop. Oh, and free popcorn with every event. We have no area boundaries from Santa Barbara to San Diego and everywhere in between. Once the pandemic hit, we had never seen anything like this. Our business grew by leaps and bounds as it was the safest way to entertain. We felt that we were putting laughs and smiles on faces in such a dark time. Whether it's a date night for two or a school with a thousand, Outdoor Movies by You will roll out the red carpet every time. See us in action on Instagram at Outdoor Movies by You. Okay, so you're basically just crushing it in the tennis world from 18 to 35. Like, what were some of the, probably like your most favorite exciting tournaments or any wonderful memories that you think were like the highlights? Yeah, so I, the time I turned pro, like at, you know, the summer of 06 when I was 18, I, I remember it clicked. Like, I was like, I'm not going to go to college, I'm going to go pro. And the next day I started practicing harder, eating better, training you know, more intensely. And yeah, it was like played for like 16 or 17 years. And there was uh, so many great moments. The, the best one, there's probably three that are like kind of 1A, 1B, 1C. One would be beating Novak Djokovic at Wimbledon in 2017. He had won like 30 matches in a row at that point, And it was, he was number one in the world and beating him there was great. Another one would be beating Andy Murray at Wimbledon, just cause he was, he was British. The entire crowd was for him. It was a quarterfinal match. And to, to play in a stadium where the entire crowd is either for you or against you, either way, it's kind of fun. And that one, they were against me. And then my, my third would be, I played Rafael Nadal in Acapulco in a big tournament in the final in 2017 as well and beat him there. And so those were kind of the, probably my three biggest highlights, I would say, or biggest match wins in my career. That is so exciting. Okay, so then to that end, how do you keep your focus when you've got all this media craze and like you said, like sometimes the crowd is totally for you, totally against you. Either way, I'm sure it's a distraction. How do you, like what does that process look like for you to really keep your focus and your head down and focused on your game? I would honestly just tell myself to focus. If I got distracted or I was not playing well, you could feel your mind wandered. I would just tell myself like focus, 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 and try to like bring your back yourself back into kind of like a, a smaller visual tunnel, I guess, if you want to call it and, and lock back in. But it's, it's easier said than done. There was times where like I couldn't do that and mentally I was checked out and you lose a match, but the, the best players can keep that focus really sharp and, and really in tune the entire match. That's so crazy. Okay. And so over this long career of yours, I mean, I would just see you kind of like either going on walks or like driving somewhere in the morning. Like what is your day to day when you are a pro tennis player? What does your exercise and practice schedule look like and your diet? Like walk us through that. So for the majority of my career, I was living in Los Angeles because that's where like the, one of the headquarters were for the USTA where I can go practice with other great players and coaches were down there. And so usually I would say from the time I was like 18 to 25, I would practice twice a day. I would maybe wake up, go practice from nine to 11, go have lunch, 
go practice again from like one to two thirty, then go to the gym for an hour, hour and a half and do gym stuff, stretching, whatever it was. And then from 25, 26 and late, as you got a little older and I'm a, I'm a tall guy. So like, you know, my knees would get sore and things. I then started to practice once a day. So I'd maybe practice from nine to 11 lunch. And then I would spend more time in the gym, not necessarily working out. I would work out physically a lot for an hour or so. And then I would maybe spend an hour to two hours stretching, working on my body, working on my rotator cuff to make sure it was loose, making sure like I was going to stay injury prone. Um, and then with the food, I had a so-so diet. Well, I, I mean, I wasn't that strict. I didn't, I didn't eat fast food or anything, but you know, I, for breakfast, I would have, I'd have pancakes, waffles, things like that. Lunch, have whatever dinner, have whatever. But you know, as like a, a young male and I'm working out so much, it didn't really matter. I didn't, I didn't feel like, but again, not, not saying I didn't, I, I ate relatively well, I feel like for most of that yeah. period. And I feel like when you're tall, not to mention a pro athlete, but I'm tall too. Not as, how tall are you by the way? Six, six. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I'm five, nine, but I feel like it's harder to gain weight when you're tall. Like you can oh, eat a lot sure. and not get. Oh, there'd be that. days. I feel like I'd have like a giant omelet with sides and I have like two sandwiches at lunch and go home and I have like three steaks and I like didn't matter. I, I, I feel like I just you know, I was burning so many calories at, as like a 25 year old that it totally. literally didn't matter what I was eating. Totally, I can't wait for you to go like gorge yourself at a restaurant. You're gonna love it. It's like meant for people like you. <laughs> no. Oh my god, um, that's crazy. Okay, so then, so how does a pro athlete remedy or work through some of these physical challenges that you know you're obviously pushing your body to the max and to the limit? How do you respond to it? Yeah, so. Like any pro athlete, I had some injuries over the year. Um, the years, uh, my first one was in 2009. It wasn't a tennis-related injury. I fell through a glass table in Bangkok, Thailand, <laughs> and I still have a. You can still see the scar here in my arm, like right here. Um, <laughs> I was at a tournament, and I, I stupidly was oh sitting. <laughs> right. I was at a tournament, and I, I like practiced, went to the locker room, showered, and there was no seats to like change and put your shoes and socks on so I took a shower changed and I was like I gotta put my shoes and socks on there was a glass table in the locker room so I sat on it and then uh it supported me for like 20 seconds and then the next thing you know I fell through it and I looked down and there was a shard of glass in my right forearm the size of an iPhone coming out and blood was spewing out luckily I was at a tournament there was a doctor like right down the hall and I was like uh my arm like I need some help right now and so that sliced right through the arm, right through the muscle, right through the skin. It missed the nerve by luckily like a millimeter. Um, had surgery there and I was out for four months. Oh my God. I'm sorry Kidding. to laugh. No, I cannot. It was, I remember my arm was split, was an inch open like this. If I moved like this, you could see the muscle oh moving. Oh my God. It was, okay. By the way, you guys, I don't think you can was, see this really, but like he has a, like a huge, like, like I'm laughing. I'm in hysterics because I was telling Sam actually before we even started that I have this really sick sense of humor that when people fall I like literally lose it and like my mother-in-law and I like we both have this really bizarre sense of humor like that but anyway um so the visual yeah this looked like a murder scene there was blood on all the walls of the oh in there and luckily no glass went like in my butt or anything yeah, <laughs> just oh, in my just really in my awkward. arm yeah, and but so that could have been for real. It could have been, been really. It missed the nerve in my arm by a millimeter, and then I if wouldn't. If it have, hit the nerve, what would have happened? I wouldn't have been able to use my 
my fingers and stuff anymore. Like literally, it's still numb. Like through here, sometimes like it's but super can, weird. But honestly, the visual of you sitting on like a glass table yeah, and you're no, like this big so dude is so hilarious. Like I cannot. It's up there with your um, stroller yeah. story. This <laughs> is another hilarious yeah. story. And so that was uh, for four months. I couldn't play. I can't and believe. I had that. to go to go to hand rehab. You know, you play with newspaper and sand and build back the strength. Oh my god. Um, and it's tough because you know you can't play tennis during that time, but I could, you know, I could run and use the bike. So I had to be disciplined with doing, like, making sure my fitness level was still going to be okay. So when I could play tennis again, mm-hmm. I was like cardiovascular wise ready to go. Um, yeah, that makes sense. And then 2011, I had elbow surgery. Just a base, you know, some bone spurs broke off. Had to have elbow surgery. That was another three, four months. Um, other than than that, I just had little knickknacks here and there, like a minor knee operation where you're out for eight weeks. Um, and one other little like foot operation, but all in all, over the 16 year period, I had a pretty, a pretty good run with like no major injuries besides those, those two. And a lot of that comes to like, you know, like I was saying earlier, like you go to the gym, but I, I would spend a lot of time like working on my body, flexibility, rotator cuff. And for the last eight years of my career, I traveled not only with a coach, but with a physiotherapist. So we would stretch, massage, acupuncture, dry needle, cupping, you name it, we like. I would lay on the table for three hours a day, like just getting my body to feel as good as it could. Wait, this sounds like dreamy. Almost every player I would say in the top fifty in the world now has a physiotherapist that they travel with full time. It adds five years to your career. That is to incredible. Do that. Yeah, that it's is an incredible. expense that you have to pay, but like I said, if you can get five more years of playing time, it's a hundred percent worth it, and it's um, it's very popular now. Wow. I mean, that just sounds lovely in general. I have no justification yeah. besides being a mother of three. I mean, sometimes like the massage stuff was nice, you know, dry needling, acupuncture, some of the stuff really hurt, but you knew it was going to help you and make you feel better. Yeah. I don't really appreciate needles anywhere near me unless it's for Botox or filler, because that is a, a good <laughs> investment and, in, in, you know, for people like me. So I wanted to also ask you about the role that your family has played, because you are, again, one of the most normal guys I think I've ever met. I'm very curious. How did you stay normal, stay grounded, not get caught up? And like, if anyone meets you on the street, like you literally are, you seem like a regular person. I mean, my parents couldn't be greater. Like my, I have a sister, a younger sister, and then my, uh, my mom and dad, they're just very encouraging, very normal people. You know, when I was playing tennis growing up or other sports, they, they, they weren't overly intense about it they weren't overbearing they just wanted me to go out and have fun and try they were always big on trying hard you need to give a good effort and whatever you're doing that was your homework sports friendships whatever it was just make an effort and then over the years when I was playing tennis you know they they did a good job of staying out of it letting my coaches letting myself figure it out but but also being there enough where you know my dad would call my coach when I was younger especially every few months hey how's Sam doing is he is he working hard? Is he doing the right things? He's staying on track. So you, I still felt like I had the, um, you know, my dad kind of watching over to make sure I was doing things the right way. But when they came to tournaments, they just, they would come watch, support, clap, win or lose, treat me the same. And, and that was key. And, and they would come anywhere in the world to watch me play, uh, you know, at Wimbledon when I made the semifinals. They weren't there. They just hopped on a red eye that night and flew over to watch. They would do that constantly to just show their support. And the fact that they they traveled around and would do these last minute flights was pretty special. And my sister would do the same thing. I played my last tournament at the U S open a month ago. And my sister who's got a six month old baby flew there for two days to watch me play my last, last event. And so they, 
they've always been so supportive and and not even just my immediate family but like cousins aunts and uncles they're always texting always coming out to watch and it's been really fun for for me because tennis is an individual sport and they kind of made it feel like somewhat of a team yeah i love that and you also first of all i do love your family so much your mom drove us <laughs> yeah. to our dinner date they're uber drivers sometimes yes she's lovely she's the best uber driver i've ever had <laughs> yeah. aside from of course my parents who are equally as fabulous and um you know something i noticed is that and this is something people probably don't see but you have a really good group of friends and it's just a good group of dudes you golf with them you just kind of hang with them you seem to support each other you treat each other like again normal and and they're long-standing friendships is that right um yeah a lot i mean my my two like kind of best friends from this area, we were we we're all best men in each other's weddings. Those are my friends from fourth grade. That's so. And cute. so it was uh, pretty cool. And then, yeah, if you if you kind of looked at my like core group of ten best friends, like six or seven of them are from like elementary school or middle school. And then I've also got like a, some great friends from playing tennis over the years, and and some new friends like everyone have. But yeah, there's a a great group of. Um, of, of friends a lot of them live in the area that we hang out with support each other they've come to they've come all over the world to watch me play tennis and now that I'm not playing tennis I hope to return the favor and go watch them in the courtroom if they're one of them is an attorney one of them does medical sales what if they kind of do everything so I, I hope I can kind of return the favor and go support them now that's so cute okay so I want to ask you about and I asked you this off off air or whatever can you explain how do tennis pros make money yeah so <laughs> I'm just going to, for the sake of conversation, consider a pro being someone ranked top 100 in the world. And so if you're top 100 in the world, every tournament you play will have prize money, whether you lose first round or win the tournament. So this year at the U.S. Open, if you lost first round, which you had to be top 100 in the world to get into the tournament. So you've put in a lot of work up to that point to be eligible to play. Uh, if you lost in the first round, you got $80,000. If you won around... I don't exactly remember that, you know, it went to 130,000 and 200,000 and up to the winner probably got $3 million. So that would be at the, at the U S open Wimbledon, French open, Australia, the four big ones. And then there's like a tier down below that called master's series. And there's 10 of them throughout the world. If you win those, you get about 1.2 to 1.3 million. And if you lose first round in those, you get about $20,000. And usually the prize money would kind of double every round, 20,000, 40,000, 80, 160, 320, and so on. And then the lowest level tour events that top 100 guys would play in, the winner would get about 115,000. And if you lost first round, you maybe get like 6,000. And so you would just, you know, you'd play probably 20 to 25 tournaments a year. You add up all your prize money. Uh, what I was just explaining was just singles. There's doubles as well in all these tournaments. And doubles is a tenth of the prize money of singles. Mm -hmm. So you'd play it, but just kind of for fun. I would want to play with a friend. Um, but they're, there is money in, in the doubles as well. And then most, if you're, if you're top 100, you're going to have a racket sponsor that'll pay you, a clothing sponsor that'll pay you. Um, if you get into the top 20 in the world, not at the, those, not at the French Open, Wimbledon, US Open, Australia, but any other tournament, they have what's called appearance fees. So if you're, you know, especially Roger Federer, Rafael, they'll, they'll pay you to just come play the tournament before you even got prize money. And other guys will get that too, based on where you live and things like that. That's so cool. Okay, switching gears kind of along the lines of family, but you mentioned, so you have the two cutest little boys ever, Ford and Owen, yep. and I'm very curious how 
you are going to kind of, I guess, mentor them through any of their athletic endeavors, I'll say. And like, what are your thoughts about how you're going to approach them trying different sports? And do you want them to play tennis? Selfishly, I don't want them to play tennis. I don't, I don't want to go watch tennis for another 18 years of my life or however long they play. I'm sick of it. I want to move on. Having said that, if, if they play tennis, I will be their biggest supporters. I will, I will help them play. I will cheer them on. I will encourage them whatever they need to. And, and I'll do that with whatever they want to do. If that's sports, if that's joining the math team, um, it doesn't matter. But, you know, they're only they're two and a half and almost one. So we're not at the stage yet where they're getting into those kind of things. But um, I'm very excited to to see what they do and I'm excited to learn and myself as a dad kind of how to help them encourage them guide them through that stuff okay and so one question that I would like to know as a parent how how would you mentor them or coach them through losing or failure like what words of wisdom because our karate instructor said you know there's a certain way to win and there's a way to lose like what would you say about what's important when losing how would you help them kind of through that you know that's a tough question i don't i guess i don't know you could lose in different ways too you can like lose badly or lose by you know a last second buzzer beater shot i guess ultimately it's, it's just always important to keep your head up keep trying you know it, it's kind of corny but it's in like the, the process that you're going through not necessarily the result if you go out and and you you play basketball or tennis or soccer or do math every day and you, you like it you're you're enjoying that it really shouldn't matter if you win or lose as long as you're, especially when you're a kid, if you're having fun, that's all that really matters. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I, I tend to get excited watching Charlotte play soccer because that was my sport. And it's really hard to not be like screaming from the sidelines. So I'm going to try and tame myself. But is that a bad thing? Did your parents ever scream from the sidelines? No, <laughs> they did not. My grandpa, Damn. my grandpa would. But uh did no, it traumatize I, you? No. My parents are always pretty mellow. They got to just watch on the sideline, encourage, and they were happy with whatever happened. Okay. So I'll try and tame myself on the sideline yes. so I don't traumatize or upset anybody. Especially Charlotte's, what, five, six, five. five. <laughs> <laughs> my kids are so screwed. <laughs> they are. They're in trouble. Oh, my gosh. Okay. And then also I wanted to ask you, now I already had your amazingly gorgeous, sweet funny, hilarious wife on the podcast. Mm -hmm. For anyone that wants to hear Abby, you can actually go back to that episode and hear all about their love story and like all the things and like the birth of Owen and all these things that we got into. So I won't touch on all of those parts now with you, but I did want to ask you what role she's played in supporting you through your career and how important her role has been for you. Um, she's been crucial. I mean, we've been together for seven years or so. I'll have to double check with her on the exact number, but yeah. So for the last, gosh, I basically six years, she's traveled with me full time on the tour and, and kind of early on, she came to all the tournaments, kind of identified which ones were the good ones. And then from that point, we'd only come to the good ones, but, um, she couldn't have been more supportive. You know, when you're, when you're an athlete, you know, you have a, a short window to play and, and, and you know, kind of make the most of what you've got. And so you have to be pretty selfish. And so she was always really good with understanding that, where if she was at a tournament and and I played a match, you know, I, if we didn't go to dinner that night, she was fine with it. She knew that I had to stay there and stretch and do the media and take care of my body and go to bed early. And, and she understood that and couldn't have been more supportive in helping me um, kind of go through the process. And 
you know, she was she was at all those the matches I alluded to earlier. She was at all those big matches. She was at all the Wimbledons when I when I did my best. She was with me when I made my career high ranking, and so she was such a crucial kind of part of the team. When you talk about a coach and a physiotherapist and a wife, and she would always help with with little things with with flights or um, just organizing transportation or if um, if you know even if I want she got to know it so well that if I wanted to bounce bounce around ideas like hey do you think I should go play this tournament or this tournament she knew enough after a while to say oh I think you should go play this for these reasons and so she was amazing and then the last two years since we've had our boys they've traveled to not every tournament due to COVID but a lot of the tournaments and for those of you who have traveled with a infant you know it's difficult and and she had two of them for a uh, a seven week trip in Europe where I'm helping when I can, but I'm out there playing. So she's on her own for a lot of it. And then another six week trip that we just went on. So it was, it was really important to me to like have my family at those tournaments. And she did a great job of, um, of handling that and dealing with two, two young toddlers and in places outside of her home for long stretches of time, which was um, really difficult, but she was a, a trooper for going through it. Yeah. I mean, she seems just like you guys both seem like the perfect match. Like you have, the most beautiful relationship and she really does seem like your perfect match and she i didn't realize she was an actual like like a real model yeah i had no idea until she came on like photos at her house yeah Yeah. i mean she came over three weeks after having owen with owen and podcasted and she looked like i mean i i don't think i looked like that even in college even at the peak of my (laughs) like she's gorgeous but she is a sweet and kind and amazing chef like she's just yeah, incredible and chef. i yeah she threw a surprise party for me last weekend that was amazing so yeah you know she's the best she really is the best so i think that we've covered a lot of kind of what just happened and the fact that you have retired it's huge and um i wanted to ask you how are you feeling about your retirement and what's next so yeah by i retired it would have been six weeks ago so i'm, I'm already a little bored um <laughs> And so what's next? I'm still trying to work on a few things, but um, I don't know if if you've been following like the pickleball craze. Pickleball in America has been taking off for a while now, and it's very popular. So I'm going to try to play some. They have professional pickleball. Uh, so I'm going to try to play that next year. I'm still working out the details of kind of where I'm going to play, what leagues, things like that. I'm learning about it as I go because I don't know anything about it. But I'm going to do that next year, although... It won't be the whole year. It'll probably be 50 days of the year. So I've still got other, uh, a lot of free time to figure out, uh, you know, what other hobbies or passions I want to kind of pursue. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And I feel like your boys can probably fill up any of your quote unquote free time. Yes, they can. <laughs> and they kind of, they actually like pickle by our oldest walks around with the pickle and goes, pickleball? <laughs> so he's kind of into it already. Oh my God, that's hilarious. How cute is that? Well, gosh, that is so exciting, and um, I'm so happy for you, and also welcome to the Retired Club. It sounds like you're only going to be retired for like 20 minutes, but um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a cool place that you've, you know, come to, and man, you've had quite the ride in your career, so congrats to that, and cheers, by the way. Amazing. I think there's a bug in your... There um, is. I see it there. I'm going to avoid it. I'll still drink it. I'm just going to avoid it. like my worst nightmare. <laughs> it's still in there. <laughs> oh God. Okay. Well with that, thank you so much for being on. Yeah. And thanks for having me. We're so happy for you and we can't wait to come out and support your pickleball endeavors. There's an event 
at uh, at Sherwood Country Club next year. Oh, really? Yes. What what month? It's, when? June or July. I can't. I I saw it briefly. I can't remember, but sometime like in the middle of the year. Wait a minute. Are you gonna? I had it. I want to. Let's let's talk about something real quick before we officially wrap. I was pitching to Paige and Abby that you and Wes can teach the girls to be pro pickleball players. What do you think? That could work. I am like the worst teacher of like any sport, <laughs> but my buddy Wes is a great teacher. So he could teach. I'll be there for moral support. I will encourage everyone. And maybe hopefully that dynamic will, will help you guys. I mean, do you think we can launch a women's league? I want to see it. Wait, I'm 38 I, years old. Am I too old? No, it's like right where you want to be for pickleball. The average pickleball player is like 70. <laughs> so you've got you've got like 35 more years to to make it happen. Wait a minute. This is going to be amazing. Um okay, well, okay, we're we're going to have to mastermind this further offline, but I just wanted okay. to throw it out there. All right, no, I like the idea. <laughs> All right, Sam, thank you so much for joining and have a wonderful rest of your day. We love you. You're amazing and talk soon. Bye. All right, that is it for today. Now, as you know, some of our best conversations actually happen after the show. So I want you to find me on Instagram at Kimberly Lovey and let me know your thoughts about today's show. You can screenshot this episode and let us know what your biggest takeaway was and tag me at Kimberly Lovey and we can share it on our stories. I will see you again, same time, same place next week. (laughs) 